Well, I again want to welcome you to First Methodist Mansfield. My name is David, and I serve as the senior pastor here, and we're delighted to have you on this, on this holiday week. And I want to begin by sharing with you one of the pet peeves I have about preachers. Whenever I listen to a preacher, and I find myself in listening to them at a place where they have just grabbed a hold of my heart. Uh, he or she has told a story, or, or they've just moved to this, this compelling point, and I am right there where they want me to be. I mean, I am ready to run through a wall for Jesus. And it's at minute five. And I don't have to sit there for another 20 minutes before the sermon's over. But, I, you know, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, you should always finish strong. Now, I tell you that just so you'll know up front, we've already passed minute five in this service, okay? <laughs> it's gone, okay? You're just going to have to sit there for a little while. I'm going to do my best to not mess this up. Uh, we are glad that, that you are here uh, and delighted to be here for this holiday weekend. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. That's near the end of your Bible. If you get to Revelation or the letters of John, you've gone too far, turn back. First uh, Peter's where we're going to be. We'll start there in just a moment. We are today marking uh, our national holiday in the context of our uh, regular weekend service. Many of you know we're not doing our full schedule of services this weekend. We wanted to come together, 9, 30, 11, two identical services uh, for the sake of marking this holiday. And today what I want to talk about is why we're doing that. Now, that may sound like, a, like an odd topic to you, but you're smart enough to recognize that as a church that is committed to making disciples of Jesus Christ who love God, love others, and serve the world, that's who we are, that's our mission. As a church who is sold out to that mission, we're a part of a worldwide movement. You, you realize that? We're a part of a worldwide movement of brothers and sisters all across this world who are committed to the ways of Jesus. We're committed to living as disciples of Jesus. And so today, there are brothers and sisters all over the world who are coming together in worship. We are a part of that worldwide movement and are gathering here today. But many of them, in fact, most of them are probably not coming to their church today to remember the day that the American colonies declared their independence from Great Britain. Are you with me? I was in Rwanda in February, went to worship there, an amazing, amazing service, uh, a privilege to be a part of that. It was in a different language. If you've never had the opportunity to attend worship in a place outside of your own nation, in a language that is not your own, it is an incredibly moving experience because it reminds you that you are a part of a worldwide movement of faith. I remember that moment when we started singing How Great Thou Art. At least that's what I call the song. I don't know what they call the song because they weren't singing it in my language, but I knew the song. I, 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 we're a part of a worldwide movement. So, so why are we today in the context of our regular worship services, why are we pausing to celebrate this national holiday? I want, to talk about, I want to talk about why, and we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2 in just a moment. Let me tell you this. I was uh, raised as a child to become two things. The first thing I was raised to become was a follower of Jesus, and I had every advantage in making that decision in my life. My parents made sure that I had every advantage in that. Both of my parents were raised in homes where their parents were both highly dedicated to their communities of faith and, and to their own faith. My, my dad's dad was a teacher of a Sunday school class in his local church for 60 years. 
For 60 years, they couldn't find anyone else to teach the class. He, he was the, for 60 years. And, and so for me in my life, I was really raised in that. My dad was, when I was a child and is still today, a pastor. I realized several years ago that I have a more vivid memory of the buildings, the church buildings that, where my dad served as pastor than I do of the homes that I lived in as a kid. I mean, that's how much time I spent at the church. I was raised to become a follower of Jesus. The other thing I was raised to become is a lover of American history. And that was primarily the influence of my mom's parents, my mom's mother, my grandmother particularly. For as long as I've known her, she's had two passions. She loves genealogy and she loves American history. And so as a child, vacations were all about that. They were all about American history and going to see the sites that, that, that are a part of that history. So I made just a list of the, of the places that I can remember going, the things that I re remember seeing. First, I have seen the Declaration of Independence uh, that we remember it signing today. I remember uh, visiting Independence Hall in Philadelphia. I have been to the Liberty Bell, got my picture taken there. I've taken the ferry ride out in New York Harbor, Harbor and seen uh, the Statue of Liberty. I have visited Bunker Hill. I've gone to the home of Paul Revere. I remember going to see the old North Church, the side of the Boston Tea Party. While we were there, we went to Lexington, we went to Concord, we went to Jamestown. I had my picture made right next to Plymouth Rock. I've seen the reconstructed Mayflower. I've been to Mount Rushmore, didn't take the helicopter tour, but I saw the faces there in the side of that mountain. I went to Colonial Williamsburg. And we had so much fun in Colonial Williamsburg. We went again the next year to Colonial Williamsburg. We went twice. I, the last service thought that was more funny than you did. I have been... <laughs> I've been to Fort Ticonderoga. If you know the historical significance of that, you can tell me afterwards. You get, you get a special prize today. I've been to Yorktown. I've visited Monticello. I went to Mount Vernon, saw the grave sites of, of George Washington and his wife. I've visited Fort Sumter. We did the tour of Gettysburg. We spent time seeing all the sites in Washington, D.C. And if you Googled the top 10 national parks, I've, I've probably been to most of those as well. And I should add that we did all of those trips in a van pulling the RV, okay? So vacation for us as kids was spelled K-O-A, K-O-A. <laughs> Visited lots of K-O-A campgrounds all across the country. Now, I know some of you are thinking, wow, you had the most boring family ever. <laughs> but that's not how I saw it at all. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. That, that passion and that and that energy that my, my grandparents had for history is something that that, that I am proud of, the, the heritage of my faith and the heritage of this, of this love of history is something that is a part of my life and in which I take great pride. And so I tell you that to say this, that these two allegiances, the allegiance to Christ and the allegiance to country is something that has always been a part of my life. I, I don't know who I am apart from those two things because they've always been a part of my life, an allegiance to Christ and an allegiance to country. But as I have grown and matured, and, and from the time that I made my own decision for Christ, I've begun to understand, again, studying these scriptures, that those things are different. Those are different allegiances. The allegiance that I have to Christ, the allegiance that I have to my country, those are, those are different things. And yet there is an important connection between the two. 
In other words, who I am as a person of faith and who you are as a person of faith, if you've said yes to Jesus, what I would contend, what I would say is that who you are in that allegiance, that role, who you are as a person of faith shapes who you are and who I am as a grateful citizen of this nation. That our allegiance to Christ influences and shapes how we think about our allegiance to country. And that's what I want to look at today as we look at 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to go long before the signing of the Declaration of Independence or the development of the ideals that are the foundation of this nation. Back to the Apostle Peter, to the original disciples, and how they balanced and understood this tension between their allegiance to Christ and to the world in which they lived. So 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 11, listen to what Peter says. He says, Dear friends... I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that they, see, uh, they, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Now again, this is the Apostle Peter, and he is writing to a specific audience for a particular purpose. He's writing to Christians, and the purpose for his letter is he's trying to encourage these individuals who are beginning to experience persecution for their faith. They're beginning to be seen as people who didn't quite fit in, who didn't quite belong, who had beliefs and and were engaged in practices that were a little bit strange. And so Peter is writing to them for the sake of encouraging them, and I want you to pay attention to how he addresses them. He calls them friends, but he addresses them as foreigners and as exiles. In other words, for these people who were increasingly being seen as different, as not quite fitting in, those people who didn't quite belong to the world in which they were living, Peter affirms that. He basically says, I agree with them. You do not belong to this world. You're a foreigner. You're an exile. You are a citizen of another world, and so this tension that you are dealing with in your allegiance to Christ and the world in which you live, this tension is actually natural, and it has a specific purpose, because you're a citizen of another world. Remember what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, he says that our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. So what what do these authors mean by this language? Well, if you turn to the Gospels and you read some of the teachings of Jesus, what you will find Jesus talking about over and over again is this notion of the kingdom of God. If you look in some of the Gospels, it's referred to as the kingdom of heaven, but it's the same thing. Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. And when the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we've seen your prayer life. It's pretty cool. You got this whole thing going. Can you teach us how to pray? Jesus teaches them a prayer, and we prayed it just a moment ago. We call it the Lord's Prayer. What do we say in the Lord's Prayer? Jesus instructs us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in the very beginning of the Christian faith, one of the first confessions of the Christian faith was simply this, that Jesus is Lord. Now, keep in mind that 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 phrase, that short phrase, was actually a part of the propaganda of the Roman Empire. Their propaganda was Caesar is Lord. The Christians came along and just marked out Caesar's name and put Jesus. Jesus 
is Lord, an incredibly subversive act. They did that because they understood that they were citizens of another kingdom, a kingdom of which Jesus was Lord. So you put all those things together, what does that mean for us today? As we think about these allegiances, it means that when we say yes to Jesus, when we say this is what we want our life to be about, we are also claiming a new citizenship. A citizenship that in a world that is coming, a world that we are supposed to pray and to work for its coming, and who we are as people of that world is meant to shape the way that we live in this world. And, and don't misunderstand me here. This is not just a kingdom that we will go to when we die. None of the authors of the New Testament understood it that way. They all spoke about a kingdom that is coming here. And so we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And Peter instructs these, these Christians living in persecution to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. It's important to remember that these sinful desires were things that were culturally accepted practices and those which were affirmed by the governing bodies. But Peter says, you abstain from those things. Why? Because you are a citizen of another world. And because of your commitment to Jesus, you were invited to live in this world in a brand new way. Well, how do we do that? How, how do we balance these two things? Well, listen to what, listen how Peter continues. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. So to these Christians... To these Christians who were living in a world that was increasingly seeing them as different, as not quite fitting in and not belonging, what does Peter say to do? He says, submit to the authority. Why? So that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Remember the words of Jesus? Jesus talked about being the light of the world. You know that part. That's the famous part of the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. A light is not something that you put under a bowl, but you put it on a lampstand so that all can be seen. You should show your good deeds so that people may see those good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, you are uh, in fact a citizen of two worlds and your allegiance to one should influence your investment in the other. The way in which you live as a grateful citizen of the nation in which you live should be shaped and formed by the commitments that you've made to Jesus and the kingdom life that he has called you to live. The attitudes and thoughts, the behaviors, the ideals, the ethic of love and grace that defines the kingdom of God that we pray will come, God's will to be done. Remember the story of the mother of James and John? When mom shows up one day and comes to Jesus and says, hey Jesus, could, could my son sit at your right and your left? 
I mean, can you imagine being James and John on that day? Like, oh gosh, mom's here. What's she going to say? It reminds me of an experience that happened to me when I was a sophomore in high school. I was playing a basketball game. One of my friends, Brady, came in, and he got his legs cut out from under him. He landed flat on the floor. He's laying on the ground, writhing in pain. About 30 seconds passes by, and then he hears a voice, Brady, are you okay? And he says, Mom, go back into the stands. What are you doing? She'd come out on the floor to make sure he was okay. James and John, Mom, what are you doing? But this is what Jesus says. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. In other words, you know how the world works. You know how the world works, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, we do things differently in the kingdom of God. And the things that we do differently often do not make sense to the world around us. But Peter was convinced. And Paul was convinced, and Jesus was convinced. They were all convinced that the world needs people of faith. We live in a world that needs people of faith. And according to Peter, according to Paul, according to Jesus, to understand yourself as a foreigner and an exile was not an invitation to withdraw from the world in which you live. But instead, it represented a calling, a summons to be more deeply invested in living in this world in a new way. So why? Why would we pause in the middle of everything else we're doing to to celebrate our nation? Well, it's to give thanks. It's to say, God, thank you for the gift of this nation. Thank you for the privilege that we have to, to live in this nation. Thank you, Lord, that today we had the freedom to get up and to get in our cars and to come here and celebrate Jesus, remembering that there are many all around our world who do not have that freedom and follow Jesus anyway. So thank you, Lord, for the gift of this nation. We come to, to honor uh, the heritage of our nation, to honor the heritage of our lives, whether your family has been a part of this country for generations or whether you are a first-generation citizen of this country. We, do, we come to do all those things. We come to have our hearts stirred by these songs that we sing, but we are also here to say that the world needs people of faith. The world needs people of faith who are committed to living in the ways of Jesus, of living in such a way that people see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Unless you've been under a rock, you know what happened on the night of June 17th in Charleston, South Carolina. You know that a gunman came to the Mother Emanuel Church, sat in Bible study for quite some time before opening fire and killing nine Americans. You know about what's happened since. You probably have already heard about the God is big enough wristbands that we have sent to that church and to that community, and we're just waiting to hear if they want more. If they do, we're going to send them, we're going to send them more. 
You know about what happened in the days that followed. You know about the, the abduction of the perpetrator. You know about the first hearing that, that he had. And you probably are aware of how the families responded to him when they were given the opportunity to do so in the course of that hearing. Here's how one New York Times article described that scene. One by one, they looked to the screen in a corner of the courtroom on Friday into the expressionless face of the young man charged with making them motherless, snuffing out the life of a promising son, taking away a loving wife for good, bringing a grandmother's life to a horrific end, and they answered him with forgiveness. You took something very precious away from me, said Nadine Collier, daughter of 70-year-old Ethel Lance, her voice rising in anguish. I will never talk to her again. I will never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. Where does that love come from? Where does it come from? It only comes from Jesus. It only comes from Jesus. And our world needs people who know the love of Jesus. And who know it so strongly that they can stare into the face of evil. They can look upon the world's brokenness. And they can respond as someone who is a citizen of two worlds. Someone who is committed to the ways of Jesus. And because of that commitment, they, are, they share that with a world who is desperate to receive that love. The witness that our world needs is not built on our willingness to share our opinions, but on our willingness to love others as Jesus has loved us. And that's why we pause this day, to give God thanks for this nation, to have our hearts stirred by these songs that remind us of our heritage, to say thank you, to honor that from which we have come, and to say, God, may we be faithful as others have been, to love others as you have loved us. If you look on the worship order that is in your bulletin, you will see that the last thing we're going to do today is special music. We're going to sing God Bless America. I will tell you that the only thing special about it is that I'm going to lead you in it. And I want this to be our, our final prayer today. But as we sing this song, I just want to remind you of one thing. That from the time of Abraham, the way in which God has primarily blessed the world is through the lives of people. God came to Abraham and said, I will bless you. And in you, all the families of the world will be blessed. And so as we sing this as our prayer, I simply want to remind you that if the blessings of God are going to be received, it's going to happen through people like you and people like me. And so will you please stand with me? And Sonny, will you give me an F? 
And let's sing this together. One more time. Get to it one more time. God bless America. God, we do pause this day to give you thanks, to give you thanks for this nation in which we live, and to thank you, Lord, for all those who have gone before us, who have shared with us this precious gift. We think of those whose lives have been lost in service and in defense of this nation. We thank you for their families who alongside them have borne that sacrifice. And we pray for each of us today, Lord, that you would find us faithful, that the light that you have shared, the love that you have shared, the grace that you have given to us, that we would be faithful, Lord, to share that gift with others. And so send us forth into this world as people who are committed to living as citizens of two worlds, those who are committed to the ways of Jesus. We ask all these things in his name. Amen.